Welcome to the first of three podcasts that focus on the way educators are responding to the COVID-19 crisis. The first podcast in the series is called Early Days. I'm Jim Gay, co-director of the Ohio Leadership Advisory Council, and I'm here with educators from across Ohio to share some things we've already learned about responses to the ongoing pandemic. Ohio schools were ordered closed on March 12th. A lot has been going on with families, students, schools, and districts since then. At the end of April, we conducted interviews with 12 colleagues in seven school districts and at one educational service center. We spoke with three district superintendents, Josh Englehart from Painesville City Schools, Elizabeth Lolly from Dayton Public Schools, and Ron I. Rusi from Marion City Schools. We also spoke to four central office leaders, Tracy Ocasio and Angela Chapman from Columbus City Schools, Kim Kingsbury from Canton City Schools, and Christine Sawicki from Youngstown City Schools. Gina Rohan, math teacher from South Range Local School District, provided a teacher's perspective. And we also talked with a team of educators from the Mahoning County ESC, Tracy Hostetler, Superintendent, Kim Monachino, Director of Pupil Services and Early Childhood, and Andrew Velchek, Director of Technology, and John Kuzma, Director of Teaching and Learning. It's early days as yet, but as you'll hear in this podcast, Ohio educators hit the ground running as schools closed. They found and are creating ways to connect with families so that kids who are at home get meals, get lessons, and have contact with their teachers and related service providers. Districts and schools are using a range of channels for making contact, and they are confronting a host of totally new issues. These issues are continuing to emerge and evolve. Educators are adopting and inventing promising practices in this response to the current situation. But it's too early to make judgments about what works and for whom, what's sustainable, and what else will need attention. In this context of worry and stress for everyone, traditional school community linkages combined with innovative solutions and the threat of inequity is on everyone's mind. We're all in this together, but solidarity doesn't translate into equal access. Districts are providing opportunities, but opportunity gaps are pronounced. As you'll hear in this first podcast, Two big ideas summarize the approaches many educators are taking. Kim Kingsbury from Canton City describes them. These two ideas that we say over and over and over, even to this day, and that is less is more and Maslow before Bloom. So we got to take care of the needs of our families before we even think about academics. These foundational ideas, less is more and Maslow before Bloom, permeate the interviews. Although it's hard to talk about the pandemic as having a silver lining, the crisis has forced educators to focus. And their heightened focus has given them the chance to think about schooling differently, more equitably, and with vastly improved family and community engagement. Less is more means we have to focus on and reinforce all that is truly important. It's happening now in this crisis. So why not when the crisis is resolved? As I said before, it's early days. There's still a great deal to be done and many lessons to learn. 
but educators have hit the ground running. We anticipated that something was going to happen when we started hearing about the virus in Ohio. And we've uh, had to make some of those decisions really in three days. We're all learning pretty much on the fly. We're trying to keep a step ahead. I think that's the big thing we had to pivot. To get started, districts identified and implemented strategies that would be workable for the short term. Here's what Youngstown City, Columbus City, Painesville City, and Dayton Public did for starters. You know, just trying to figure out the different platforms. We try to run everything through Zoom so that it's one thing that our staff members can get used to. However, there are some of our partners who maybe are using a WebEx or, or different platforms. So one of the things that we decided when we first heard about our being out and having to work remotely, we started off with a list of resources that were more volunteer that parents could select to opt in, use that when we thought it was just going to be a couple of weeks. So it wasn't as easy as just opening the school up one day and having the kids come in and, and pick up their devices and go home. So the first hurdle was getting computers into the home. And, and then that's only half the story still because we do have a lot of families with no or unreliable internet access. That becomes a, a further challenge there. So it has taken a lot of effort just to get our families connected up. So here in the early stages, that's been the biggest issue. We planned on doing our distance learning based upon our TV station. We have a TV station in the district that we control. So we planned on having teachers record lessons and then we would air those over YouTube and over the TV station. And we thought we would map everything out about two weeks ahead of time. And the closure announcement came two days later. So we went on to a fast track and pulled teachers in on that Friday through Wednesday had them design and create lessons, and then be taped in our studio. ESC personnel also jumped into high gear. What we've provided in the very short time that we've been in this situation, my department has worked to develop K-12 lessons and units for our teachers in ELA, math, science, and social studies. I don't know about you, but I have just been so proud of our teachers, our administrative teams across all of our partnering districts. Everyone has just jumped in and working together. And really over the last several weeks, learning curve at the beginning, obviously setting up the classrooms, getting instruction going was a bit challenging. It's really, as we transition into week five now, I'm just seeing so much good work from our teachers and from administrators in all of our districts. As time went on, districts began to make decisions about what would work for the longer term. Here are some of the things leaders decided in Painesville City Local, Marion City, and Columbus City. It's largely asynchronous. We have periods punctuated by some opportunities for synchronous interaction, but we also recognize we have many multi-child families and being able to manage a schedule with appointed times for appointed classes is challenging. So we've asked our teachers to make sure that anything that they do can be accessed at any time based on the family schedule. We do have as a backup system for print material distribution for families who cannot access the internet. We have a system for a weekly pickup and drop off of print materials at our board office to accommodate those families. We do have the lion's share of our families now online and able to access the online platform. 
Then we began identifying platforms for every subject content area, as well as every elective course. So we are using different platforms at different levels, depending on the subject area. Professional development for teachers to help them implement remote learning was a part of the mix as well for districts and ESCs. We hear how that got underway at the Mahoning County ESC, as well as in Youngstown, Canton City, and Dayton Public. So any professional development that was scheduled just as we went to the stay-at-home order, we then revised and pivoted it to creating professional development that was better suited for delivery via Zoom. Specifically, we've targeted our K-2 population, knowing that not many of those teachers jumped into the Google Classroom setting initially, but we were working to sort of provide them some baby steps to get them started. Everybody's at a different level with using technology, and everybody has different circumstances at their house right now. So probably very similar to what our students are experiencing. So we did a lot of professional development for teachers. And so we've been calling them ed camps. We had just finished our second ed camp, and we have two more planned. Last Friday was an ed camp day, for example, and we had 45-minute time slots all throughout the day on a variety of topics, and then teachers could choose which one they wanted to attend. We had two weeks worth of very solid, very high quality training and trained our teachers in understanding how to write a virtual lesson plan, how to deliver a virtual lesson plan. And the training was such that it was scaffolded. So they started off at first learning how to do a hangout, and then they were required to do one the next day and then add something to it each day. So by the end of the week, they had a, a really good lesson that was developed that they could actually deliver to some friends on a Google Hangout and practice that. So it was very thorough and continues to work very well. Meanwhile, educators were busy developing curriculum and instructional materials and learning how to use virtual platforms. They were also extremely concerned, in fact, most concerned of all, about the well-being of children and families. That's what Canton City means by their slogan, Maslow Before Bloom, providing food, ensuring that students are safe, helping families access different types of support, and making sure no one gets left out are critical parts of this work. Here's what the work looked like in Dayton and Marion. We've given out over 250,000 meals in the last five weeks. And in order to do that, we bring in some of our staff members that we actually pay to bring them in to help pack those meals. But we also have such a wide number of our employees that are volunteering and also community members that are volunteering. We have a variety of organizations that donated backpacks and school supplies when we initially started the feeding program that we were able to give out to the families that came to get their food and then also deliver to the families that could not come because they don't have transportation. Well, you know, we're 100% free and reduced lunch. And so one of our major concerns uh, when schools were closed, uh, we know that our students rely on us to feed them. And so I think that was our number one challenge at the beginning. Today is our food service day. It's a pickup day. Wednesdays are. We're averaging about 30,000 meals on Wednesdays. We have fed up to 3,000 of our 4,500 students. And so that's a huge part of what we're doing right now is to making sure that, you know, we're keeping in contact with our kids, that we're feeding them and we're supporting them. So, you know, that taking care of those needs first before we could even think about delivering online education and those kinds of things was very important for us. Um, and then, you know, once we've kind of figured that out is then just really trying to take an inventory of 
access to both devices and internet. Within the past two and a half to three weeks, when we started to switch from the idea that we would have no paper and pencil packets for our students and completely moving to online, you know, we had to make sure all of our kids had access. And so we passed out probably 2,000 Chromebooks over the last couple of weeks. We've partnered with our businesses and within our school buildings in town in our businesses to uh, lift any restrictions to their Wi-Fi. So if parents could pull up next to a building and access the Wi-Fi if they didn't have it at home, that's been an issue. And so we really, we wanted to, to give them those kinds of options again. And, and many of our families still struggle with even, for example, Spectrum has offered to some of our families free internet during that time, but they'll only give you free internet as long as you don't have an outstanding bill. Uh, and so trying to provide that access to the internet and the devices, you know, I've heard from many parents that, yeah, they might have one computer at home, but they have four kids. And so everybody's trying to access, you know, what they can online. And that's been difficult. I think the most important thing during this time period is what we've learned is we have to find a way to get feedback from our families on what's working and what's not. Taking an inventory of access also seemed to be on everyone's mind. It's a matter of equity, as Angela Chapman from Columbus City details. Well, I would say most of the biggest challenges are with accessibility. So we are a district of 50,000 students in the Let's see, since we've been off since March 13th, we've given out about 18,000 Chromebooks to our students. We're working on getting more hotspots. We currently have 500 hotspots to give out. We've just ordered a thousand more hotspots so that families have internet access. We've boosted the Wi-Fi at all of our schools so that families can come to the schools and maybe you know sit in the parking lot, playground, surrounding areas and access those drops if needed. But the biggest challenge I would say is definitely access. We do not have a solid understanding of how many families that didn't pick up a Chromebook that either have a device or using their own device. We have certainly data from the online platforms that you know our usage is about 50%. So 50% of our students are logging on using the online resources, but we still have lots of questions about the other 50% that are not engaged. Is it because they don't have a device and they haven't come to pick one up? Is it because they don't have access? Or is it because of a variety of other factors, right? And so figuring out what those factors are are certainly a big question for us. We have a community survey that we have shared on our website. But again, all of these resources are online. So if a family doesn't have internet access, they don't have access to the access. <laughs> I mean, they don't, they can't complete the survey. They don't know that all of this is happening. I mean, certainly we do robocalls and try to get messaging on, you know, radio and TV, but there's some limitations there that certainly keep us up at night. We heard more about these issues from others as well. So we've taken an all staff support type approach and our staff, including our teachers, have monitored what are the issues that are preventing students from having access. We have found that a pretty good number of students have engaged. We still have some students that are not engaged, that we're still working through those connections and trying to determine what is it that's the barrier that's hindering that learning experience. And in some cases, those experiences are challenging for students and their families because it's unusual to what they've expected in the past. And, it, and online learning doesn't fit everyone. 
numbers of parents have emailed and said, this is working and will Columbus extend this type of learning? And we are looking at extending our virtual learning opportunities for families that want to take advantage of that in the future and looking at how we can better align platforms and other experiences to help meet the needs of students. So we're excited about being able to use this almost like a fulcrum to move us forward, help us use it as leverage in helping to meet the needs of the various needs, the diverse needs of students and families. I think the biggest challenge for us has been making sure that the families that do not have Wi-Fi and the families that do not have devices have been contacted and been allowed to have those kinds of pieces of equipment and that utility. So making sure that they have Wi-Fi access. We've equipped buses with Wi-Fi and our buses go into the neighborhoods and broadcast Wi-Fi. They sit there parked for several hours. There's a schedule that they follow and the families know when that schedule for the Wi-Fi is. They go four days a week, two days a week into certain neighborhoods and then they repeat the process. The following week, we gave about 500 hotspots and Chromebooks to our seniors because they're our most at risk right now. Rod Irusi from Marion City shared a critical insight about how providing care and access to children and families underscores educators' core mission. And I think, you know, unfortunately, I guess, I don't know if it's a bright spot, but, you know, in times like this, I think it really has showcased the inequities that exist amongst our different school districts as well. I think we're just gonna be a lot more in tune with individual child's needs. I think this is, again, maybe it's a bright spot because I know our staff truly understands now what our students bring to school with them every day. And so, you know, I think it's given them a whole different perspective. And when we talk about knowledge of students, you know, if you look at the OTES rubrics and the, the, you know, that area of knowledge of students, I mean, this is the kind of knowledge of students I think that we can take out of this, which will change the way we think about how we educate. I hope it brings to realization that we have to build the way we educate around our students. Building the way we educate around our students, being student-focused and centered, has long motivated districts to improve. But it takes on new urgency and meaning in light of the serious public health emergency resulting in school closures. In the early days, districts and ESCs had to act quickly, and their main concern was the children and families' health, well-being, and access to methods of virtual communication. But even in the early days, they also had to identify high-priority academic needs and develop focused strategies. In Canton, as Kim Kingsbury shared, less is more captured the district's need for focus. In many places, focus started with routines, materials, tools, and platforms that were already in place. Here's what two educators shared. Notice how the concern for using what's familiar is mirrored in the comments of an ESC consultant and a teacher. The good thing is a lot of the related staff, they work off of the laptops. That's what they normally do because they're out in the field. We have a large number of employees that never step foot in the office or rarely step foot in the office and they were prepared to work in the field. Now the thing about it is the field's their house, okay? So they're providing the same type of support just in a different manner. I've been using things that I already use in the classroom, like Kahoot and quizzes, like any type of online game quiz system, I've continued to use that because they're already comfortable with that and it's definitely something I can still utilize. What was already familiar to educators provided a good starting point 
but they soon saw the need for new frameworks. As comments describing this situation in Canton and Mahoning County reveal, one basis for focus was practicality. One criteria for the less that is more was feasibility. As a leadership team, we came together and put together some expectations for remote learning for the district, starting with a definition of remote learning because we found that a lot of people had different ideas of what that was. And so a real simple definition, learning that occurs when there's time and space in between the learner and the teacher or the information. And so once we made sure everyone understood what remote learning went, we got into some general do's and don'ts. So for example, in our district, we felt it was really important that the learning be asynchronous. And so that was one of our do's. We knew that this situation is going to put a lot of stress on our, our families and, and, you know, they'll be facing things we can't even imagine that they might be going through. And so it was really important for us to not add to that stress with um, synchronous learning. We wanted something that was easily understood by parents. We wanted something that was engaging for students. And we wanted something that was easy enough for teachers to implement considering the situation that they are in. Another criterion for the less that is more is the centrality of instructional content to what students, individual students, and groups of students need to learn. We hear that focus reflected in the comments from Marion City, Youngstown, Canton City, and from teacher Gianna Rohan from South Range Local. For three weeks, our teachers got together and planned remote learning for online through building modules based around some standards that we had covered. We were trying to avoid new learning as much as possible because we felt like there was going to be a lot of inequity with access to the internet and devices and all those kinds of things. But as we've moved forward, again, we've had to tweak that because we now know that we can just no longer focus on standards that were already covered. You know, the enrichment and intervention piece, we had to move beyond and extend that to new learning. We've been really working on the science of reading this year and also specific vocabulary strategies. So it has all continued on the science of reading, the vocabulary strategies. So a couple new things that I'm trying is Flipgrid. So I post a prompt and then they create a video responding to the prompt. So I actually get to see them and listen to their explanation and, you know, give them feedback. A lot of my class was when we were in school was students discussing math with each other. And that was one thing that I was worried about losing when we went to this form of instruction. So I'm glad that I found that because it still allows me to, you know, hear them talk about math and hear if they're still learning. The focus on what individual students need was also evident in Kim Monachino's description of how Mahoning County ESC was providing related services. Our occupational therapists are using teletherapy. So they're actually using either Google Classrooms or they're using a Zoom session to provide the therapy session to the student. They've worked with the parents to establish weekly therapy sessions. They're actually meeting with the student, going online, whatever the goals and objectives are on the student's IEP. Our occupational therapists Several of them have created videos of hand strengthening exercises, different techniques that they want the student to practice so that they can go ahead and show the video to the student and work through whatever they need to do. 
As these educators have reported, it is still the early days, and no one can predict what challenges and opportunities lie ahead for them and others across Ohio and, for that matter, across the whole country. But there's a sense of optimism among educators, as Tracy Hostetler, superintendent of Mahoning County ESC, communicates. You know, I think that while we have discovered some silver linings and some, you know, some benefits to doing things remotely, we're really missing. And it's interesting for the first time in in my entire life, I'm hearing kids say, I want to go back to school. I don't remember. I don't remember kids saying, I miss my teachers. I miss my classmates. I don't remember parents saying, God, I love my school. So I think another silver lining is that we've discovered that Teachers are really important. Principals and superintendents are very important. Our related service providers are very important. So I do think the future is that we are more comfortable implementing technology into what we do and and using it in the classroom. We might not be so scared of cell phones anymore, but I also do see more clearly than ever before how very valuable our educational system is in the United States. Thank you for tuning in to our first podcast in the COVID-19 series. We appreciate you taking a few minutes to listen to what fellow educators have shared in Ohio. We hope you'll also find some of our other OLAC online resources useful as you continue to look for ways to provide high-quality, student-centered, family-focused education during this difficult time. I'm Stanley Dudek. I provide support and technical assistance for OLAC podcasts through the University of Cincinnati's Systems Development and Improvement Center. Credit for our podcast music goes to Expendable Friend, whose musical composition is licensed under an attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 4.0 international license.